this morning as we continue our study of the book of Hosea, we'll be in Hosea chapter 3 and uh, talking about unearned redemption, unearned redemption. Um, this morning, I, I really didn't have any kind of like intro that uh, I felt like, man, that fits. And a few moments ago, I had a moment uh, with uh, my son in the restroom and uh, it kind of, I thought it fit well, maybe a, a place for us to maybe gather our thoughts for a moment. Um, we, we walk into the restroom just a few minutes ago, literally when we went out the door and, uh, he whispers to me and he says, daddy, it doesn't stink in here. I said, yeah. He said, somebody cleaned up. A three-year-old notices Miss Patsy, right? Isn't it a true moment though for us that he recognizes there's something usually about restrooms. They don't always smell right. There's things that sometimes are um, left there that aren't the most um, flattering. And yet, there's someone that cleaned up. And this morning, we're going to kind of encounter that. We're going to encounter some turbulent waters today. And the beauty of it is that there's someone came to clean up. They came to clean up our, our, our filth. And not only just to clean it up and to wipe it away, they literally, Christ took our filth, our shame on Himself. This isn't just swept under the rug and put away. God put our sin, our shame, our uncleanness on His Son. And so that's where we come today, to Hosea chapter 3. And if you've been with us, we've been walking through. This is a challenging book. It's a book that um, a, a prophet, a messenger of God is called to go and marry a woman who will become unfaithful to Him. They'll have children. There's questions of who those children truly are. And um, there's some major challenges. And yet, throughout it all, God keeps reaffirming that His mercy triumphs what? Mercy triumphs over judgment. That echo of James chapter 2, verse 13. And, and so this morning, we come again with that anthem. But I want you to see today that there's some, some seriousness. There's some serious consequences to our sin. That we can't allow our sin just to seem as if it's no big deal. God doesn't seem how, seemingly care. Um, because when we minimize sin, ultimately what we do is we minimize the cross. When we minimize our sin, we act like it's not that big a deal or that big an issue. What we're saying is, is God, your son's sacrifice really wasn't that costly. And so today we're going to encounter that here in Hosea chapter 3. And we're going to see this unearned redemption. That the people of God have done nothing to deserve being redeemed. It's the great anthem of God's grace and His mercy. But yet we also see the consequences of our sin. Pick up with me, if you would, beginning... In verse 1 of Hosea chapter 3. The Lord says to the prophet Hosea, go again, he says, love a woman. Look what he says here. Who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. There's some question over the fact, is this actually Gomer, um, Hosea's wife, Gomer, or is this now another woman? I, I think it fits well that it's still... Um, Gomer, it's Hosea's wife, um, but there is some question over that of who exactly is this woman. Um, I think it's interesting that he uses the fact that um, he's to go and love a woman who is an adulteress, and so if it wouldn't be his wife, then this would be calling, in essence, Hosea into adultery himself. And so it seems to fit also with the context of the fact that this this woman and Hosea, right, they're representing God in Israel. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's one that fits well. And so it's saying, listen, just like the people of Israel have been faithful to me and I love them, so also I'm calling Hosea to go and love a woman 
who's not loving him. It's a challenging statement, right? I mean, it is. I mean, look at this. Go again, he says. Again, the, the fact of again there probably would clue us in the fact that there's some type of sequence happening. Um, back in Hosea chapter 1, um, we read there in verse 2, it says that when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the Lord. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so... Um, there we see this promiscuous woman that's mentioned, but now she's actually called an adulteress, which indicates the fact that she's been unfaithful to her husband. So again, I think the context fix that this is indeed Hosea, and he's going back to his wife, Gomer, who's left him. Challenging text, um, but I want you to see the parallel, right? And so it stands out right here in the first verse um, that I think God's really trying to open our eyes to see this. So again, listen to these words, and as we move forward, verse 1. The Lord said, to me, to Hosea, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Look what he says, even as, right? So here's the comparison. I want you to know, here's your comparison. Even as the Lord loves, right? Now, Hosea was called to go in love and he says, I want you to know why you're going to love because the Lord loves, he loves the children of Israel. Look what he says about them, though. He says the children of Israel, look what they're doing. He says, though they turn. They've turned, he says, to other gods, and they've loved cakes of raisins. All right, so a lot's happening here, but the Lord is saying, listen, Hosea, I want you to go and love this woman who has not been faithful to you because that's exactly how I love my people. The, just like your wife's been unfaithful and she's left you, he says, I want you to know that I have been faithful to the people of Israel and they haven't been faithful to me. He says, they have actually turned to other gods. They've sought after other gods, and if you were with us in Sunday school, or if your material's been similar, uh, we're there um, with the Gospel Project, Acts 17. I mean, you were really well prepared for this message this morning. There's a lot of similarities. Amazing how much um, connection there was between our Sunday school lesson and what we're hearing in this text today. But he says, listen, I want you to know they love other gods. And these cakes of raisins, although they were often good, they were often used to worship other gods. Is this, these fertility rites were being happened, and so the raisins were symbolic of that fertility. And saying, listen, these people are looking to other gods instead of looking to me. They've been unfaithful to me. And so he says, listen, I want you, Hosea, to love them as I've loved you. I mean, that's really what Paul's after, isn't it? In the midst of Ephesians chapter 4 and there's lots of controversy and things happening in the church. He's kind of dealing with some of those. Um, the fact that there can be anger and divisions among you and different things he's dealing with. And then he comes to verse 32 as he closes out that chapter. And he says these words. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ forgave you. He says, I want you to know what the impetus should be for forgiving other brothers and sisters in Christ, what the impetus should be for forgiving your spouse, what as children for forgiving your parents, what should be the impetus that should drive us to forgive somebody. I, Emily and I were driving just the other day and somebody pulled out in front of somebody else at the stoplight. They didn't have the right way. And man, they hammered the horn and I watched in my rear view as they just tailgated them right down the road. And I thought, I have been that person so many times. It may have been somebody in here. I don't know if it was you, but I've been so guilty of that. We watched. I was like, man, it's just crazy. Right. It's just amazing how quickly we become angry over something. Right. Somebody sets us off. They don't do they don't abide by the rules. They don't follow the rules of the road, whatever, immediately. And yet God calls us to forgive one another as he has forgiven us. And in Christ, it says he has forgiven us totally 
and completely. And so Hosea, he's saying to him, Brother, go love your wife as I love you. Go love your wife as I love the children of Israel, even though they turn and don't walk away. From, they, they don't, they, they've turned and they walked away. And look what it says here. This, this beautiful moment of just obedience. Look at verse 2. So, so what did he do? He says, I bought her. I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. I'm a little bit here of maybe some of these dry goods and how the measurements translate. Um, again, the homer is about six bushels. The lethic is about three bushels. And so, again, typically a slave was sold for about 30 pieces of silver, right? We remember that back with Joseph. We've seen that with Judas when he comes, right, to betray Christ. He betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. And so there's, there's lots of usage of that. And the question is, is why is, there's, there's lots of questions. Let's look at the text for a moment. So I bought her, right? Like what, what's happened that he has to even go and buy his wife? And so we're, we're not exactly clear on what's happened here. Um, one commentator suggests that she's either become someone's personal slave or a temple prostitute. Whatever it is, she's walked away and she's gotten in big trouble. She's now become, in essence, maybe the property of someone else. And so Hosea has gone to back to claim his wife and he is paying for her. Man, it's a loving, unbelievable moment of loving and claiming her as his own. That he's not ashamed of her. Even though she's done things that are very shameful, he is going back saying, I still love you. I'm showing my faithfulness to you even when you have been unfaithful to me. Remember, that's the imagery that God is giving to us. That I am loving you. That I am being faithful to you even when you are unfaithful to me. That's the God that you worship today. That's the God that you just sang to. That's the God that you've been living for. That's the God that you're claiming as your Lord and Savior. This God who loves you even though you've never earned it or deserved it. And you'll never be good enough to keep it. This God is amazing. And he says, listen, I want you to know I am coming to claim you as my own. And so again, there's this exchange. Um, obviously something's happened pretty scandalous with Gomer that this has come to this extent. But nonetheless, Hosea shows up. And then we come to verse 3. And verse 3 again acts as a parallel to what's getting ready to happen in chapter, verse 4 and 5 of Hosea. So clue in here. Watch this, this demonstration of Hosea's love to her. And how it's going to fit with God in Israel. And I said to her, he says, you must dwell. All right, so again, the dwelling here, a couple of things she's told to do as mine for many days. All right, the many days is going to clue you into what's going to happen in a moment in verse 4. So kind of hold that there. He says, listen, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. This is a beautiful moment of maybe you've heard the mantra that you love the sinner, but what? Hate the sin. This is a moment of that happening. A moment when, listen, he's saying, I, I want you to know, right? So right off the beginning, let's just kind of walk through it for a moment. I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. Hosea is saying to her, listen, it's time to come back, but there's going to be a period of cleansing. There's going to be a time in which there's, there's not going to be the relationship between a physical, intimate relationship between the man and the wife. There's going to be a time in which we are, we are together, but we're separate. There's a time of cleansing, a time of being called away, and that's really what's happening with the people of Israel. They're going to go through a period of deprivation. They're going to be separated, right? And God's still claiming them. He still loves them. But he says, listen, I want you to know you must come back. You must dwell as my wife for many days, but there's going to be a period in which we're going to separate. 
That things can't just hop back in the bed and to pretend as if that doesn't matter anymore or that never happened. He says, listen, I want you to know there's going to be a period where we don't have intimacy, but I want you to be mine. And listen, you've got to stay with the text or you're going to miss it. All right, so listen, watch this. Secondly, he says to her, um, you shall not play the whore, he says, or belong to another man. Um, some text renders it, you shall not fornicate or you shall not know another man. He says, listen, I love you, but the sinful life is over. If God was speaking to you today and he was just talking about your life, what might be his area of sin that he might rebuke in your life just for a moment and say, listen, I I love you, I'm claiming you as my own, but that way of life is over. Listen what he says there. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. Paul states in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, you are to flee from what? Sexual immorality. He says that all of the sins that a man or woman commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually says, you sin against your own body, right? He says, and do you not know that your body is in fact the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? He says, you were bought at a price. What was the price you and I were bought at? The death of God's own son, right? For God so loved the world, he what? He gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's what Paul's saying there. He says, listen, guys, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God with your life. And so, in a way, Hosea is speaking this similar words to his wife, Gomer, saying, listen, you shall not live that way any longer. There is a call for you to no longer live and be that. There's a call to genuine repentance to say, I cannot continue. I I love you. You're my bride. But this can't continue on. And in this statement that is unbelievably beautiful and merciful and gracious, listen to this in the midst of verse 3 of Hosea 3. Look what he says here to her. So he says, will I also be to you? It was the Pretenders 1994 album when they made the statement, I'll stand by what? I'll stand by you. And I won't let anybody hurt you, right? It was Bill Withers 1972, the great mantra, lean on what? Lean on me when you're not strong, right? This is a statement here that is absolutely beautiful in the midst of calling to leave sin. Listen, sometimes we separate. We think that God's not loving when he calls us to leave a life of sin. But in fact, that is love. That He doesn't allow us to continue in that. That He calls us out of darkness. He says, come into the light. And He says, but look right here. Hosea is saying, so will I also be to you. He says, I am not going to leave you. I'm going to walk beside you down this road. And the same way, that's what God's getting ready to say to His people. He says, listen, I'm going to bring judgment on you. The Assyrians are going to come in. You're going to be exiled out. A lot of things are getting ready to change for the northern kingdom. Big changes. Changes that here some 2,700 years later still haven't come back. That's how serious the judgment's coming. Sin's serious. Consequences of it are serious in the eyes of God. But yet the beauty of it is he's saying, listen, I want you to know that I'm going to continue to walk beside you. It's in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, that we hear those um, so encouraging words that God promises, never will I leave you, never what? Will I forsake you? That's what's happening here. Hosea is saying, I, I won't leave you. 
I won't forsake you even in the midst of this. Now, these are some, some negative things, but I thought also it might be interesting or important to remember sometimes also the positive. And Paul talks again about lots of things about sexual relationships between a man and a woman, and uh, specifically 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is one of those. He starts the chapter by telling us, listen, that each person should have their own spouse because we all burn with passion, he says, so it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So he says, listen, if you can't keep yourself under control, it's better to have your own spouse, right? And he's going to also talk about the fact that there's a gift of singleness that many are called to and um, that God gives them the gift of being single. They have self-control. They don't have to feel like they have to feel that in that way. But he says, for those that can, he says, I want you to know that God has called each to have their own spouse. And then look what he says here, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 7. He says, the husband, what the husband's called to do? He's called to give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise, the wife is to give to her husband, right? There's physical intimacy being described. He says further, verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And so we would hear back from Proverbs, drink from what? Drink from your own sister, drink from your own well, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you guys as husband and wife, and here's what's happening. I don't have time to walk through it all, but in Corinth, they thought if you were really, really spiritual, even though you were married, you didn't have to have physical relations. And Paul's saying, you guys are missing it. Absolutely, that's what part of marriage is designed for. It's for that physical union to take place. He says, listen, that doesn't make you more spiritual. And look what he says here further, verse 5. This is, this is why. This is interesting. Again, this is specifically to those who are husbands and wives today as you're dealing with this context of sexual morality and guarding your marriage. Listen to what Paul says to safeguard your marriage. Do not deprive one another, right? Don't deprive one another of their physical rights for physical union. Except, he says, perhaps by agreement, and note what he says there, it's a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then, he says, come together again. Wow, look what he says. So that, why? Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He says, listen, I want you to know that regular physical union serves as an antidote for sexual immorality within marriage. He says, I want you guys to be coming together unified as one. And so again, Jose and Gomer are going to have a period of separation when she comes back. But that's not long-term. This is going to come back, and they're going to resume these rights. I believe from the context, it lends that direction that they're not going to remain um, apart from one another, even though they live on the same roof. I think they're coming back together. And as the marriage takes place here, as Paul writes to those under the New Testament covenant, he says, listen, I want you to know men and women, husbands and wives, come together regularly so that it protects you from being tempted. Beautiful moment there. Well, might ask the question, why is God calling Hosea to do such a difficult thing? Like, why in the world would God even ask Hosea to do such a thing, take back this type of woman? Why would he even ask him to do something that is this difficult, right? And again, it's many days there, and it indicates a real time of cleansing, a demonstration of genuine repentance. And then we come to verse 4. It's your answer. So again, listen to verse 3, Hosea 3, and then come to verse 4. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore, belong to another man. So will I also be to you. And then he says a statement for right why is god asking him to do it look what he says here i want you to know that the children of israel shall dwell look what he says here again many days same thing right they're dwelling many days again the imagery is being used the analogy of the husband and the wife here representing god and israel 
He said, I want you to know the reason why, Jose, I'm calling you to do this is because that's exactly how I love my people. Again, the basis of us loving others is never their performance. It is always in basis is how God has first loved us. Our response is we love because what First John says, we love because he first what? Loved us. So our response back to God is because, God, you have loved me. And now my response to others is not because they first loved me, but I love them because God loves me and he loves them through me and in me. And sometimes despite me. There's the love of God that's pouring forth. And he says, listen, the children of Israel shall dwell many days. Listen again, there's many days that are coming. There is great judgment. Again, we've noticed this. What he's going to say here, the northern kingdom in some 700 B.C. has still not come back to this. You're saying 2,700 years later, this fulfillment still has not come to pass. This is serious judgment. Let's not try to, again, brush this under the rug as if God's not a big deal about sin or he doesn't care about the way we live as his people. Hosea reminds us there's serious consequences for our sin, for the children of Israel, it says, shall dwell many days. And then he starts this statement here, without king or prince. Now, the king or the ruler was central to the nation's identity. And God's saying, I'm going to remove that. Why? Because somebody else is going to rule over you. The ruthless Assyrians are coming in, northern kingdom. They are coming to bring my judgment. Other prophets talk about how God even speaks of the rod of his wrath of the nation, places like Assyria and different ones, that God is using them as a judgment stick on his people. And he says, listen, I want you to know there's going to be many days without king or prince. Further, look what else he says here. Without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or the household God. Several things. I try to throw some imagery up there. Um, first, the sacrifice, right? I don't know if you can... There, the bronze altar where, where sacrifices were made. And so we're kind of looking here outside the temple. And so we'll come back and... He says, listen, there's going to be many days where the sacrifices are gone. Now, what's interesting about this is, is when the northern kingdom left the southern kingdom, the temple was located where? In what city? Jerusalem, Right? Jerusalem is still in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is broken away from that. And they said, listen, what's really going to be dangerous is if we let people go back to that temple, they may, be, may decide to stay there. So we're going to set up our own places of worship here in the northern kingdom. And it's a reminder often that it's just, we just often just tiptoe into the darkness. Before we find ourselves a long way from the word of God and the grace and the mercy of God that is found only in Jesus Christ. He says, listen, I want you to know that there's going to be days without sacrifice or pillar, right? And so we see this pillar here that um, oftentimes were large stones that were erected that they just worshipped, right? Oftentimes a place of pagan worship. And if you've been to ancient ruins or seen things often, that's what the ancient people often did. These large stones, they would worship them. And this was a place that um, often they were built. And he says, listen, I want you to know that I'm going to remove you even from your places of worshiping false gods. He says further with them there also, he says it's without the ephod. And you can kind of see some of that here. It's um, the dress of the priest. And, but often within there, there was these two stones that were used for discerning the will of God. And they would cast these stones and the judgment would have come either yes or no, and depending on how they fell. And um, in fact, the last time we see that these things, these lots are so to speak, are cast, these stones are cast, is in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. It's prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
After the Holy Spirit comes, we don't see any more of these lots being cast throughout the New Testament. And so we discern that the Holy Spirit is to lead us in accordance with the Word of God and the community of believers. But he says, listen, there's going to be a time when even the discerning of God's will and these things, judgment is serious. And then he says, finally, there, there's going to be household gods. And so you see a little um, idol there that maybe that's something like they might have worshipped. We're not sure. But um, anyway, nonetheless, um, I think it's interesting that Israel, right? So we have a couple things that are good. Sacrifice is good, right? The ephod, these are things that God had set up, even though they've distorted them. Um, whereas the pillar and the household gods are not. And this is often what happens. We mix the holy with the forbidden. We take the very thing that God has designed, whether it's sexual uh, intimacy, whether it's finances, whether I, I don't know, right? I mean, however, uh, God has given us many things that are good, and we've taken them, these holy, these good things that are from God, and we've distorted them by trying to interrelate them to those things that are forbidden. And he says, listen, I want you to know judgment is coming for many days. Many days. And the question is, well, where does this lead? Where does this end? Judgment, discipline have come, right? Clearly, God is judging His people for their sin. And then we come further to verse 5. Afterward. Some translations may render it, and after this, implying that the judgment of God is necessary to bring the people of God back to Him. In fact, that's often what happens all throughout the Old Testament, and maybe it's been true in your life. You've had to experience really tough times to get your attention back to say, whoa, right? I mean, those heartaches, those bad diagnoses, um, moments in which things that you would maybe not have chosen otherwise, but they have driven you back to your knees and back to your commitment to the Lord and looking to Him. And so listen, he says, listen, I want you to know this judgment is there, but it's not forever. This is unearned redemption. They haven't earned it, right? They haven't been good enough, but I want you to know that I am a God of grace and mercy. And so look what he says here, verse 5. Afterward, he says, the good news is coming. The children of Israel shall return. So a couple of things they're going to do. They're going to return, he says, and they're going to seek the Lord their God and David their king. So one is a geographic return from exile, right? So even though this is still messed up, we would say, listen, as we look to it, David their king, David is physically gone, but there's going to be a descendant in which the northern kingdom that's getting ready to go into exile, and the southern kingdom that's going to follow um, somewhere in the period of 500 B.C., they're going to follow after that. He says, listen, I want you to know, though, that I'm going to reunite these two kingdoms. They're going to become one, and they're going to come under the kingship of a, of a Davidic ruler, and his name is Jesus. Israel's still looking for that. In fact, Paul is writing in Romans, and he talks in places like Romans chapter 11, that there's going to come a time when God is going to graft his people back in after this period of the Gentiles. But there is a period of serious judgment, he says. But afterward, the children of Israel shall return, he says, and seek the Lord their God. Return and seek. Man, that's a great usage for the word repentance. If you've ever wondered, what does it look like to repent in my life? The Lord defines it as returning to Him and seeking after Him. And we have to acknowledge that is in response to a work of the Holy Spirit. Many of your testimonies, when you testify to the moment in which you got saved, or when you began to see it, you began to testify there was something happening internally. You sensed the power, the working of the Spirit as God's Word was being proclaimed. It was as if, this, as Hebrews 4 and 12 says, this Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating, dividing, joint and marrow, soul and spirit, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
And in that moment, as God's word was coming forth, you experience a conviction from the spirit saying your life does not reflect that and it separates you from me. But the good news is there is redemption that you have never earned or will never be good enough to keep. And it's only found in my son. For it is by grace you've been saved, Paul will say in Ephesians 2 and 8. So returning and seeking after a period and time of real discipline. And David, their king, it says, and they shall come in fear, right? So again, they're going to come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. There's going to be returning. And Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30 talks about this. He says, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. So God uses the judgment to bring a fear upon his people, a desire to return and to obey. And that's what he's after here. He says, come in fear to the Lord, right, that they might actually return and seek after me. And notice what he says. Again, this is a beautiful moment here of how he he speaks to this. They're going to return to his goodness. It's in the latter days, and we we obviously look at this coming forward to Christ, but isn't it amazing that they don't return to this vengeful wrath, but instead they find themselves returning to a God of mercy and grace? He says, they're going to come in fear to the Lord, but it's not just like, hey, listen, I don't want you, or you sit over there in the corner, I've forgotten. No, he says, listen, I want you to know that you're going to return to me and to my goodness, to my grace, to my mercy, to my redemption. And again, acknowledges that in the latter days this will take place. So maybe a question of application is, was how does this look for us specifically as it relates to the New Testament and the work of God? And so I want to close with a passage from Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Let's be honest today. The people of Israel could check a lot of those boxes, but I can too. And in this statement that I want you to hear today, and I, and I pray by the Spirit of God, it brings a holy fear upon us all. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who, look what Nosey says here, who do such things, this is a lifestyle, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is serious. Every man, woman, boy, or girl here has to hear these words and they have to encounter the truth of the gospel. That our sin is serious and more serious than we've ever believed. And Paul says, I want you to know that those who do these things, this is their lifestyle he's speaking to, he says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And look what he says here in verse 24. uh, I'll move ahead. He speaks to the fruit of the Spirit. It's a beautiful moment, but... Look with me if you would at verse 24. He'd say, well, Blake, what hope is there then for me? And here's the hope that I want to leave you with. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, look what he says here, they have crucified. What? The flesh with its passions 
and desires. He says, listen, I want you to know that the Christ who has come for you, the Christ who has set you free, has empowered you to no longer live according to this flesh, to no longer indulge in these things. He said, I want you to know that God not only paid the penalty for you on the cross, He's given you His Holy Spirit. He's going to say back in verse 16 of Galatians 5 that you can live in the power of the Spirit to no longer live this way of life. And so I would ask this morning, when you hear this and say, listen, my way of life, it it sure appears that I may not inherit the kingdom of God. It sure appears by the fact that my life is invested in these things heavily, 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 heavily. That maybe Paul's saying, I really don't belong to Christ. The only thing that I could urge myself and you to do in these moments is to return and seek. That this text and what we've seen in Hosea should drive every man, woman, boy, or girl to the cross and our need of redemption, our need to come under a God who can shower His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness over us, that we would be covered, that we would be, as Brother Corey was singing there, that we would be without guilt before this God. That this God is a God of mercy and grace. And he says, I want you to know that my salvation is so great. It's not just simply that you will be in Beulah land forever. This is not simply just that you will be with me. He says, I want you to know that my redemption is so great that you will live a transformed life here and now. Does that mean you're perfect? Absolutely not. First John 1 warns us of that. Of anyone who thinks they'll become perfect in Christ. He says, that person is a liar. But there is a call to holiness. There is a transforming work of the Holy Spirit of those who belong to Christ. So I want to ask you, believer, as you hear the text of Hosea, as you see a people that are experiencing unearned redemption, do you desire redemption? Do you desire to be set free? Do you desire to be forgiven? The Bible says that all happens in one man, the God-man, Christ Jesus, who gave His life for you and for me. And it says today, if you will repent, if you will turn by the power of the Spirit, the Word of God, your turning is not in your own strength. It is just saying, God, I cannot do this. I've made a mess of it. I am looking to your Son. The Bible says that all who call upon that name, the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, He says they will be saved. And not only will you be forgiven of everything, not only do you have an eternal inheritance, the Bible declares you will receive the very Spirit of God to indwell you, that can empower you to say no to the flesh. That you don't have to live the way you've been living. I've shared it before, but Romans 6 and 21, there on Big Bear Lane, there in Lexington, KY, God rocked me in Romans 6 and 21. I was there on my carpet just reading often, day after day, just searching after, man, how great and merciful is this God. And I came to Romans 6 and 21, and I encountered these words. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. And that was my life. And brothers and sisters, today, if you are experiencing conviction for your way of life, you are blessed. What I would tell you is do not resist it. 
just submit and say, God, I am in need of that grace and that mercy because I realize my way of life will not empower me or qualify me to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is only by your grace and mercy. Believer, if you are experiencing conviction today, this is not to confuse your salvation. It is to confirm it. Why? Because when we are convicted as believers, we repent and acknowledge our way of life too is wrong and we return back to the truth of the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So I close with the words of John the Baptist. Then prove your repentance by your deeds. If you're confessing Him, then let's live it. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Christ, I thank You for the Gospel. It's the only hope of salvation for any of us. But Father, today Your Word reminds us that there is also a God who is just, who is desires to show mercy and grace, unbelievably so. But there's true justice with You. Father, I pray today by the power of Your Word and the power of Your Holy Spirit, that as we hear these words, God, that we would not just run and hide from You. God, there's no hiding from You. Please, Father, may You bring conviction over our lives that we no longer desire to live this way. That we would come out and be separate. Father, may Your grace and Your mercy today, the fact that You would forgive us of everything, that You would cleanse us from all. Father God, if we would turn and seek and look to You, Father God, to call out to the name of Jesus. Father, I pray by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ today, that you would speak in the darkness and call people out into the light. I pray that your grace and your mercy would warm and encourage souls to realize that you are a God who is worthy of returning to and confessing freely and finding forgiveness. God, please, today, just as we prayed many moments ago, as we desire revival, Father, may we call out to you to forgive us and cleanse us of all our sin. I pray today you would give us that desire and place a holy fear amongst your people. I pray this in the name of Christ the King. Amen. Brothers and sisters, there is grace and mercy to all here today. But if you refuse, there is no other offer of salvation. There's no other well to drink from. There's no other hope apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, would you come and cry out to Christ? I pray you would. I once was lost. I walked away. The road was dark. I could not see. My hope was lost. The pain so Your mercy. Your mercy.
This is a this is a challenging word today. Um, it's a challenging word, uh, and it wasn't for His mercy and His grace, and this word would leave us all depressed and with our heads hung. But there's a God that we can return to—a God of grace and mercy. Um, and so I I pray for all of us here today, non-believers, those that are already professing believers of Christ, when we experience the conviction, as I did this morning. Jason asked a question in Sunday school about. He said. On your idol, what's the name? And man, it was a convicting moment. Man, of just things that consume my life, that, that consume my time apart from Christ, that often capture my soul. And whether it's social media, different things, just Kentucky basketball, I mean, they just capture my heart at times and consume me. And um, man, I don't know anything other than to do than just do what you do in those moments. You bow your head and repent and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me and change me. I don't want to live this way anymore. God, I don't want I don't want that to consume my life. I don't want to feel like I have to incessantly check social media to see what's going on or somebody's Twitter feed or whatever. God, I don't want that. I don't want that to be my idol. And so I, again, I don't know what you do, um, but I can tell you the gospel calls us to repentance, to turn and to seek. Anybody this morning have, have a word of praise? but physically um, just recently had a hysterectomy and uh, thanks to all of you who texted and prayed and called and um, gave sweet gestures. I, I thank God for each of you. Um, but also wanted to say on the way home, um, Robert was uh, driving us back less than 24 hours after surgery and I had my big pillow and my seatbelt on and we got in a car wreck like that um, on the way uh, back within 10 minutes of our house. And, um, you know, it kind of happened in slow motion, and you just see the cars moving. And my husband was gracious trying to make sure and protect us that we weren't um, going to take a direct 
head-on hit because I was in the front seat, so I wouldn't throw up everywhere. <laughs> so um, they he he turned the did his best to turn the car sideways so he wouldn't come into the oncoming traffic. And um, I I just have to testify to God's grace and mercy mm. for um, you know bad things could have happened. I lost an excessive amount of blood during surgery, um, so I had all these fresh stitches, and c- it could have been you know on this side of heaven and a tragic thing. Um, my husband, you know, and I just shudder to think what could happen to him uh, if we had gone into oncoming traffic. And then also for the other lady who hit us. And I, I've, you know, it was concerning for her as well. So I feel um, so blessed. I had to testify to everybody, you know, whether we're deserving or not, God is gracious and he's merciful. And I'm so thankful um, that um, he just is so good. So, if you don't know him, I pray you, you desire to know him and you seek him and you find him with your full heart. And um, that if you do know him, but your heart's not quite with him, I'm grateful that you're here hearing a, a godly word from a godly pastor and godly pastors. So uh, I just pray that you love him with a full heart to fully appreciate just how blessed we truly are, each of us. Amen, Thank sister. You. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Others this morning. <coughs> Any of our Honduras folks want to share briefly something that God did through you guys? Amen. Amen, brother. Amen. Great testimony that the God that we worship here, they're worshiping in Honduras and Haiti and Africa and Asia. Australia, Russia, places where they're not allowed to worship, they're worshiping. Yeah, amen, brother. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anyone else, specifically anybody of our Honduras team, you want just to share a testimony? Daniel, did you say something? They're in the back. I got you. What a great reminder that they're in the back this morning. It's not an either or, like you serve either there or you serve here. It's a both and. We, we serve across the seas, but we also serve here. And so you, you may have spent a week in Honduras, and then they're back there this morning watching your child, right? I mean, that's it's a pretty example of, of God's faithfulness in his people. So, amen. Anybody else? Any more Honduran, Honduras folks share? If not, I encourage you to be here Wednesday night as they share. Great opportunity to hear what God's done in and through them and, and the Honduran people. Anybody else this morning? Word of praise, testimony.
Anyone else? Right. All right, one more time. Please, please don't forget about Wednesday night.